Welcome to Simmering Thoughts, where hosts Ryan Akers and Chris Dean lift the lid to sample slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. You can find Simmering Thoughts by visiting our website, simmeringthoughts.podbean.com, by looking us up in Facebook, emailing simmeringthoughts at gmail.com, or following us on Twitter at SimmerThoughts. We'd love to hear from you and would appreciate any ratings and reviews you feel we've earned by posting those at Google Play and in iTunes. Settle in and enjoy. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name's Ryan Akers, and I'm here with Chris Dean. Chris, it's been a little while since we have recorded. How you doing? Boy, I have had... In God's providence, a pretty busy life of late. And uh, as of today, I was just telling Ryan offline that this is one of those days where the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I, I had to work on an unusual work shift today, and there was just a whole lot to do. I'm covering for some coworkers that were out. So I am, I am pressing into the Lord here right now. It's one of those days where I tell the Lord, thank you for my job and thank you for my sanctification, Lord, <laughs> and just remind him that his, what he gives me is good no matter what. He is loving and kind and everything. But uh, all in all, I am very blessed beyond what I deserve. That's for sure. It kind of plays into our, our last episode on thankfulness. Uh, <laughs> we thank, even when we're having a tough day, that we're thankful for the things we've got. Uh, it's been a little bit crazy for me lately. Uh, not not nearly as much as it has been for you. Uh, but uh, we are getting close to the end of the semester, and the weather has turned cold. And as an elementary teacher, when the weather changes, uh, the students have a little bit of a uh, crazy period before they settle into the new pattern. And uh, the hints of snow in the forecast uh, don't help that any. And the fact that Christmas is right around the corner doesn't help that any. So there's uh, a and bunch there's actually of... some snow coming for Indiana here just tomorrow. For just, us. That's exactly so. right. We're supposed to have only flurries in my corner of the state. Uh, but at least there's some, and it's the Christmas parade is tomorrow here in Santa Claus. Uh, the, the the Christmas celebrations really kick off for our town this weekend. You know, the, as as we get into that, this is a neat place to be during Christmas. Uh, even though I'm not a huge fan of the commercial celebration of Christmas that we have these days, uh, it's not not really the way I process Christmas. But that's an opportunity for us to show how we get to celebrate Christmas and mm-hmm. what we celebrate in Christmas. Uh, and so that's that's part of what I'm looking forward to in the next few weeks uh, between Christmas programs and, and celebrating Christmas here and also uh, with family here coming up very soon. I'm looking forward to that. We did talk last time about thankfulness and we previewed a coming series and that series was going to be on the fruit of the Spirit. And with that in mind, I want to go ahead and read uh, from Galatians 5. I know most of our listeners are going to have this memorized in at least one translation, if not more, but I want to read it anyway. And this is from the New American Standard. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And in in looking at those, we were going to take them kind of in order. And then I think uh, in talking about it, we had had talked about that there are some that aren't listed, some fruits of the Spirit that aren't on that list. So that may come at the end of this. But today we're really going to look at love and we're going to focus on that, uh, especially Mm -hmm. right here as we we are at the early parts of celebrating Advent. Uh, Looking at love is always a part of that and, and God's love. And so with that, I want to ask Chris, what in the world do we mean by love? Where is Paul heading with this? Uh, what are some other contexts that, that we have that get us to what is love and what do we mean by that according to Scripture? That's a really fantastic question. And we have in our cultural understanding so many understandings of what love is. And English really takes uh, a lot of different concepts of what love as represented in the Greek, for example, in the Bible, and boils it down to just one word. So you can love everything from ice cream to vacations to your wife. And uh, there's certainly lots of different aspects of love in, in all of those ways. But 
this is the fruit of the spirit that we're talking about here. So what type of love is unique to us by which the spirit gives? Is there some sort of a divine wrought understanding of what love is and a gift of what love is that is unique to us as believers? Because we're the only ones that actually have the fruit of the spirit. It, it's something that is in varying qualities and quantities given to every believer as part of who we are as a new creation uh, uh that new heart of flesh was put in the old heart of stone was taken out and we really are as i said new creations and so out of that with its new desires we desire to desire what god wants and to not desire what god doesn't want and out of that there's no better example of the fruit of the spirit and the the way that we as Christians should live our life other than seeing the example of God. And so I, I think it's telling that here in the very beginning of verse 22 here in Galatians 5, but fruit of the spirit Paul talks about is love. And we know from elsewhere in scripture, God is love, as he says. And so that's that's pretty telltale. That's That's pretty endemic of his characteristics. And so we as Christians, in wanting to be like him, in wanting to be Christ-like, in wanting to grow in sanctification and holiness, we should strive and then desire to emulate that which is primary in and of our Lord. And one of the ones listed here, and in fact, the first one in this particular list is love, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and to follow up with something that, that Ryan mentioned here, the whole concept of this list, this isn't an exhaustive list. When in verse 23 it says, against such things there is no law, the whole sense is this is just the type of the fruit that comes out from a believer. It's a non-exhaustive list. In fact, if anything, we could say that the the amount of works that the Lord is doing in and through us is is an endless list because we are truly new creations. Every aspect of us is new. Yes, we're still in the flesh. We still have to contend with the flesh, but our heart's orientation and delights and desires are fundamentally different. And so out of that, we point these new directions. And the first of that is love. And why do we love? What is this love that we're talking about here? And there's no better definition than to see what God says about what love is. And we know that there's many different places where we can turn in the Bible as to, as to what love is. But going back to something I said before, I think the concept of love is best boiled down into what God says about himself in love. And so God... He didn't need to create us, but yet he did. He chose out of something inside of him to create something outside of him, creation of which us as the primary creations, the, the Imago Dei, the image bearers that we are, he did that. Why? He did that because he loved us. He loved himself. He loved his relationship with the Trinity, and he wanted to create other image bearers that would have that type of love in a sense that God shared amongst the Trinity with his creation. And so we as believers in the image of God, we were initially made in perfect fellowship and harmony with God, and we shared a perfect love with God, and God shared a perfect love with us. And this goes back to, I think, a way to encapsulate it is 1 John 4.19. We love, we know what love is, we're able to love because he first loved us. And out of that recognition that he is love and he acts in love and everything he does is a product of his love, even, even other attributes which may seem to be more intense, such as uh, justice and, and wrath and that, is all born out of love because he has a specific purpose for himself, for his glory, and for his creation that he will patiently endure vessels of wrath so that we as the, the vessels set for glory can be found in him and with him throughout all creation ultimately. And so we have that consistent example of who and what God is as love. And so 
God's love is a, is a selfless love. It's something that is given to us that we don't deserve. In fact, even us now as believers, we're the ones who can look back and say, wow, I have received grace and mercy that I didn't deserve. In fact, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, God had, in a sense, an advantage of knowing the past, present, and future, and knowing all of those who would ever come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, who would be made new creations. But nevertheless, when we didn't deserve that love, that grace, that mercy, he gave it to us anyway, just out of who and what he was. And so there's a very much a selfless part of what love is. And so when we love and we are given the command and indeed the desire and ability to love one another, it's out of something totally selfless. It's not something that we do for personal gain or advantage or benefit. That can happen, and that often does happen, but love is first and foremost primarily others-focused, others-oriented. In fact, verse 20 here in 1 John 4 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that's not a, you know, gender, that's a gender inclusive understanding there. It's, it's everybody, men and women, believers, unbelievers. Our orientation, our disposition is to be bearers of grace and mercy, to love, to extend that to people who don't necessarily deserve it or who haven't earned the right, who haven't blessed us necessarily in return. Because what did God get when he saved us? He certainly didn't get any, anything, at least in my case, of you know, anything of great importance or worth. He saved me despite myself. And so oftentimes when we love one another, we model that love of God. And his, his love brought us from death into life and then brings us not only to Christ, but to greater Christ likeness. And so we as Christians, the love that we share with one another is a selfless love with a specific purpose of enabling that person to see and understand the grace of God in salvation, in who and what God is, in contrast to who they are, so that they then can perhaps use us as a model or example, or use us as a means through which the spirit can use to cause them to grow and become either like Christ or come to Christ or in greater Christ likeness. So when we love one another, it's not just something that is a feeling. It's not just something that we, we can get something out of it. Love is first and foremost a choice. And I'm sure all of you have heard that in various ways. Love is something by which we recognize as the means by which God used to save us and to bless us, that in turn we then get to share with other people. And so out of that, the goal of love that we have, and that love can vary in intensity and and in, in some ways some, some purpose, depending upon who we are and where we are in life. We can love in a familial context. We can love in a church context. We can love in a married context. And they all have different depths and dimensions to them, but ultimately we love others because we want them to be blessed just as we have been blessed. And in turn, God and his amazing reciprocation, he often allows us to be blessed through that, especially if the other person is a believer and they have the same understanding of what love is. It's a mutual encouragement. It's a mutual building up. It's a mutual sharing of this grace and mercy so that we can be built up together to be built up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, ultimately. That's why we love one another. That's what love is. And that love will extend into eternity. Don't think in the least that God's love is going to change or diminish at all in eternity. If anything, we are and our ability to love is only going to continually grow forever and ever and ever because we will be in the very presence of God and we will see him face to face and we will be known as he knows us and there will be nothing, no selfishness, no sin, no anything that will inhibit us from truly loving one another as we were designed to by God. I, I think so, part of that in and something that that 
we can see easily that that growth of love is that the just the progress of sanctification as we become more and more Christ-like as we're renewed in our minds uh, you know we have a new heart but as we're renewed in our minds to think and and live out uh, the new creation that we are we become more and more Christ-like and as we do that we will show more and more love that's where that fruit of the spirit is growing in us and showing uh, in how we relate to each other and, and how we relate not just within the family of God, but also without the family of God. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I had written down in my notes uh, a passage that isn't explicitly about love, but is a picture of, I think, uh, what love kind of looks like inside the family, or at least human to human a little bit. Uh, and that's First Peter 3, eight. It says to sum up, and so we're finishing a whole section here, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. And the, the humble in spirit part, I think, is, you know, as you were mentioning, this, there's a sacrificial part of love, a giving of oneself to another uh, that, that this represents, you know, the, the idea of love is a sacrificial thing. We're shown that through Christ uh, in First John 3.16. Uh, it mentions that very idea that we know love by this, that Christ laid his life down for us and that we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers as well. Because of the love that he's shown to us, we are to, to reflect that love uh, and hand that love off to somebody else. Uh, it, it In uh, Matthew 5, you know, where you're challenged right there, at the end of the chapter, it says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor, but what good is it for you to love the people that love you? You need to love the people who aren't really lovable. So we're, we're, we take that idea of that, that we should love because Christ laid his love to, life down for us. So we have love for him and we're supposed to share that with our brothers. But then we remember that Christ laid his life down for those who were his enemies. It reminds me of of John 13:35 where it says by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Absolutely. And it's telling I think it says all men. It's not just other believers. Right. It's all men. People will recognize there's something fundamentally different about us because we are others oriented as evidenced by that love that is inherently sacrificial that points to the God who sacrificed his life and everything to give us everything that we didn't deserve, you know, life and breath and health and salvation and and ability to enjoy him forever and ever and ever. There's something unique about that. And that even resonates to the unbeliever because they still have that image of God within them. They they can recognize that law, that righteousness, even though they might suppress it in their own life, they recognize that and have the ability to to see it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And are in a sense our love for one another is an apologetic evidence that God is real and God transforms and God is performing miracles in us today by giving us that transformed life and heart and the fruit of the spirit so that we can love one another and love them in a sense into the kingdom and into greater Christ likeness so that he would be glorified ultimately. All right. So now we get to a a payoff question, the hard, hard question why is it so difficult <laughs> to love as we're supposed to, to love, you know, we're, we're told in, in Matthew 22 and, and other places as well, that there's, there's two great commandments, right? Love God mm-hmm. with all of your person and love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that? I mean, what makes that so difficult? You would think that we see, first John three sixteen that that Christ has laid himself down for us and we would see that we're supposed to love others because of that why is it we have such a hard time pulling that off and I know the first answer I'm going to give it to you and that's sin mm-hmm. but even now we struggle I mean you look at at church history and you look at each individual congregation's history and there are a few congregations 
that haven't gone through uh, really turbulent times, if not splits, uh, where they have, have splintered off or had chunks of it at least uh, walk away for, for feeling unloved. So I'm curious, you know, what other pictures of that do you see? Or maybe we can look at it rather than why is it so difficult for us? What damage is done? What damage do we cause when we don't love very well? When we do a poor job of showing love and being loving? Uh, what damage is done with relationships, uh, with oh, other boy. with other parts of our walk uh, and our witness? But how does that affect how we do this thing called following Christ? The initial answer that I came up with when you said that question was, and I and I'll get and I'll get to your question follow up question as well, is that love is. Why don't we love God or one another the way we should? Why don't we model that love as we should? And what's the cost of it? Because I, I kind of give it away there. It's costly. It's part of that sacrificial nature of what love is. It's others focused, others oriented. There is a sense where love is unconditional in that we give something to somebody that they don't deserve and we don't expect things in return. And however, there's a sense that love is conditional in that we want the other person to be blessed. We want the other person to, to grow and change from that. And the Lord, when he loves us as Christians, it's, it's an unconditional love in the sense that we can never do anything to separate us from his love. Hallelujah. Neither height nor depth nor angels or principalities or past or present, future, anything at all in all creation will separate us from his love. But his love is a conditional love in the sense that it brings about change and it hopes for a change. God being God, he has the ability to change the heart and will work in and through us to, to convict us of our sin and to, to deliver us from all unrighteousness. And we can grow in from one degree of glory to another as our minds are mm -hmm. transformed and renewed in the further understanding of that. But I think we should use that as an example as well and, and see that we hope that with the love that we share with others, that they will be called to greater and better things as well from that. It's not just something that's always going one direction. It's not just a, a pipeline going out. We should be prepared for that. But I think when we have false expectations, it, it's, it's, a, it's a balance we want to face here. I think a lot of people think that, okay, I need to put up with something for a season and love a person that's tough to love and when they don't get what they expect out of them in terms of a change, they will shut it off or make it uh, significantly more you know, conditional or something like that and damage and fracture a relationship. On the other hand, if they don't expect any change at all, that person themselves might get jaded in the sense that why why bother you know what's the point of love you know look what i'm getting out of this absolutely nothing and so the end result oftentimes can be you know worse than it is in the first and so i think we should just have a proper perspective of what love is you know love is just as, as god has been patient with us god has blessed us and god does call us to grow and change I know my sanctification is far less than what I wish it was in the grand scheme of things. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not anything great that God first got with me as, as a believer in the least. And I'm not by 20 light years the man I want to be. But by the grace of God and by the love of God, I'm not the man I once was. And I hope we have that long-term view of love when we look at other people, recognizing that our change has been slow oftentimes. And so when we love others, we will have that patience, that forbearing, that long suffering oftentimes to even in the, in the specific case of, you know, women being married to unbelieving husbands, that they might win them without a word because of what their actions, their love, their motive of love. And so that's not to say that somebody can't be saved without a propositional understanding of what the truth is, most definitely, but that apologetic of that love as being 
something that's a fruit of the spirit that accompany that accompanies other things such as you know what we talked about the joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness to give an evidence that that love is real and that god is real and that god's power is real and that god's love is real and available for them and other people to receive and tap into and, and be encouraged by as well when we define love on our terms when we do not have that level of patience and long suffering that God has in love. That's when we can really damage and short circuit relationships with others to the point where people will oftentimes impute our false understanding of love or our false expression of love to that of God. And therefore they're all the more hardened and bitter and jaded against god mm -hmm. and that is really a terrible terrible thing to do praise the lord there's no condemnation of those who are in christ and yes i hope that i would never have been in a place to have done that but i'd say at one level or another we all have because none of us are perfect none of us can truly demonstrate and model the love of christ love is costly we are called to grow and change i'm i'm if I there there are some aspects of sin and self that I, I like to hold on to and, and the Lord contends with me on that and the Lord disciplines me on that in various ways. And that's not lost on other people. But it's hopefully as people if they have a long term understanding of who we are, particularly if we're family or something like that, where a relationship couldn't necessarily be fractured so easily or so quickly. Yes. They might look and see that the battle of sin that we have is a powerful evidence because we do grow and change, and we do attribute that to the Lord. Every step of that along the way is not something we've done by our own might or strength or power or cleverness or sophistication of speech. It's the Lord. It's the Spirit doing that. And if we acknowledge that before others— that's not going to be lost, and people will be more inclined to, to uh, give credit to the Lord because I was never terribly close to my brothers, but I'm because they're, they're a lot older than I am. But I'm sure that they can look at my life and say, Wow, Chris, you are nothing like you were 20 years ago. And they're not believers. And what can I do? I can attribute that to God. Yeah. And that's something that out of love, my love for them and my love to share that with them and their understanding of what love is in a worldly sense, they might look at that and say, wow, there might be something to that. And so yes. the love of God is, is powerful and real. And when applied in, in a biblically correct understanding, that is, and just going back to what we said in the beginning, a powerful apologetic. Yes. Uh, we, we were talking along that idea of, of, patience and forgiveness uh, a little bit on our offline discussion and uh, we were talking about a couple of different stories that that in, in parables that are brought up and then a, a connection to it jumped into my mind while you were just talking uh, and actually they two parts of it that that are right next to each other uh, and in Matthew 18 uh, starting in 21 Peter asks the famous question how often should I forgive a brother who sins against me and basically, Jesus gives him an answer as many times as it takes is the essence of it. Yep. But then in verse 23, the very next verse, he says, for this reason. So for the reason of forgiveness, for the reason of 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 showing love through forgiveness, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. So. As is, the, as is usually the case in these uh, parables, the king is God. And so we have, he's settling accounts with his people, with his slaves. And he brings one of them in who owes him a ton of money, more than could be paid back in any amount of time. And he's, all right, fine, you, your wife, your jid, children, everything you've got until you can make repayment, they're gone. Him, he's just to be sold away until they can repay. And the slave fell down, begged forgiveness. I can never repay. And he's forgiven. The king forgives the debt 
and then the servant goes out and he finds somebody that owes him and he just lambasts him, has him thrown in jail and then the king finds out about it. And so the unmerciful servant, the, the servant who was forgiven so much and then held half of that against somebody else. And, you know, we, we are shown that picture in scripture with the warning to us of you, the forgiveness that we're supposed to show is supposed to uh, be a reflection of what we've been forgiven and how much we've been forgiven. You know, you think of, of the question uh, when, when uh, Jesus was asked the question, uh, uh, why are you letting that woman do that to your feet where she breaks the, the perfume bottle, bottle open? And he says, you know, who is going to forgive more? The one forgiven, uh, forgiven, or sorry, who is going to love more? The one forgiven a little bit or the one forgiven a whole lot? And, and the response was, well, the one forgiven the most. And so that should be clear to us as, as those who have been uh, shown our sin, we, sh- we see our sin right in front of us. We see how we have, uh, have fallen short and we know we're forgiven through the blood of Christ and, and through faith. How can we be unforgiving how can we not be loving how can we not love much because of that forgiveness that we're given and Amen. you know we 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 see that and then the next story that popped in my mind tonight is somebody who had been forgiven more than most that we see in the bible he was forgiven of lack of faith he was forgiven of betrayal he was forgiven of uh of having uh, just impulsiveness constantly. And that's Peter. We see Peter throughout. He's the one who asked the question about how often should I forgive my brother? He does all these things. He is restored by the Lord. And then we see him years later with an opportunity to show love to the Gentile brothers. And instead, he goes and hangs out with the Judaizers. And he's not showing love to all the brothers and he gets called out for it and he repents of it. And there's a reconciliation that happens, but we see how he, how easy it is. And right there we Mm -hmm. see again, you know, how the damage is done. He has the potential to cause great damage to the faith of the Gentile brothers just by choosing to not show them love and not show them acceptance in the faith. Uh, And, and, you had mentioned offline uh, a story or a, a teaching that you had heard about the prodigal son, and it's it's. I'm going to bring that up and let you go here in a minute, but it's something that that I recently read a book that went through all the parables. Uh, it was a uh, James Boyce book called the the Parables mm-hmm. of Jesus, where he grouped all the parables together and, and worked through them. And you know, the the point of that story in in so many ways isn't really all about the prodigal son. It's not entirely about the father. A lot of it's about the older brother and about his hardness of heart and his expectation, especially when you consider the audience that 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 parable is told to. It's not told Mm -hmm. to the Gentiles. It's not told to just the disciples. It's told to the full audience. It's directed at the Pharisees who are the older brother who are standing there saying, why are you letting him back? Yep. I deserve all of this, that spirit of quarrelsomeness, that spirit of I deserve as opposed to I am totally undone. Or as Isaiah put it, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, you know, and and you think about the, uh, the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, mm-hmm. I'm not like these other people. You should be proud of me, God. And then the other guy who says, I'm a poor sinner, have mercy on me. And and we see that, you know, that, that humility before God in recognizing his great love for us and that sacrifice of self, you know, that's a lot of where pick up your cross and follow me comes from is that idea of understanding who we are in the presence of God 
in that humility, taking up our cross and setting aside our wants for the better of others. And and we see, have the, have this mind amongst yourselves as Christ did to humble himself even to death on a cross, to not see equality with God as something to be gained or grasped. And so often we want that very thing. We want to be in control. We want to have the power. We want to have the blessing, but we forget about the humility. And uh, that that whole, all of that really ties together in the concept of of the sacrificial nature of love that we're shown throughout in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. There's there's picture after picture of it there in the Old Testament. But I had mentioned the prodigal, and I know you had something that, that you were going to mention yes, uh, on our offline discussion. So I'm going to hand that to you. <laughs> well, you really summed it up in describing what that was. And a lot of that is directed about the older brother, the unforgiven one, at least in that context. And that's really a, a, a parable writ large in the context of the times right there. As you rightly said, it was given by Jesus to the masses of people primarily, which were the Pharisees right there. And they even perceived that it was about them at the time, and they were very offended. And Jesus, in a sense, doesn't finish what the parable could have been. And what do we know really happened in the, in the, the story of Jesus' ministry, Jesus being God, being one with the Father. Jesus is not the Father, but he is one with the Father in spirit and in truth and part of the Trinity. And they're of one mind and one purpose and one heart. So what did the Pharisees do to the love and the mercy and the offer of hope and repentance and forgiveness that God extended to them through their Messiah? They killed them. And so the Pharisees, through their hardness of heart, they were not forgiven. They did not see themselves as sick and needing a physician. They killed the Father, the great physician, who sent the great physician, in a sense, Jesus to them to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all of their unrighteousness. And they didn't do that at all. They were so self-focused, self-absorbed, that they, it was all about them. And it was, it was on their terms, and love was on their terms. What did they? What did they love? They loved position and status and power, and uh, something I also shared with you yesterday is I didn't even realize this. I was doing a little bit of word study, and what we think of as divine love, agape love, and d- divine love is agape love. It is a selfless love in a sense, but even the Pharisees can so twist that in unrighteousness. There is a place where. Uh, let, let's see, it's in Luke eleven forty three 43, where it says the Pharisees loved their high seats, their place in the Sanhedrin. They loved, that word in the Greek is actually agape. They were so selflessly devoted to the system, not to God in the least, but the system, the traditions of men that they were a part of. That was their focus. That was their where they got their reward, their fulfillment from, was this, playing the system gaming the system in a sense. And as we know, Paul, he was advancing through the ranks of that system faster than any of his his compatriots, he said. An overachiever. What, exactly. He was zealous for the traditions of men. That's where his love was. And as a result, he was, he in, in hindsight, he had to count that all as rubbish because he gained nothing, everything, was not yeah. done in sin was not done in faith and therefore was sin but paul by the grace of god recognized that and yes. he who was the chief persecutor of the church god turned into what very well may have been the most mature christian that's ever lived <laughs> because he recognized how much of a sinner he was and how much he had been forgiven it's so much so and his love for one another was so selfless that he gave his body up to literally be beaten and torn and shipwrecked and all the other lists of things that happened to him. In fact, he himself, and this was a bit of a hyperbole, but I think it was real. If he really could have done this, I think he would have. If he could have, in his own words, sacrificed himself, if he could have been damned 
or accursed so that the nation of Israel could come and see their Lord for who he is, he would have. In a sense, do we have that mindset? We, we know that that's not a, you know realistic because we have the promises of God that are unbreakable, but are we willing to pour out ourselves as a living sacrifice to others so that they might see and come and taste the grace and mercy of the Lord as being real like we know it? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm speaking to myself here. I'm convicted of that. I'm 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 not the man that I want to be <laughs> in the least. Uh, none of us are. With that in mind, you know, we we are so much uh, guilty of sin. There's a picture that's given of the opposite of love, that is it's tied to wisdom in the in the passage, but it, it's it's in James. We have the uh, the the chapter three where it's talking about the tongue and how the tongue is used, and that that we shouldn't both uh, curse and bless with it. And then we get to talk about wisdom. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. But then in the very next thing, it says, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts? Quarrels and conflicts, the exact opposite of love, right? Is it not the source? uh, Sorry, is the source? I can't even read. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel, and you don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, that selfishness and inward looking rather than asking on behalf of others, rather than asking and, and standing in the gap with others. You know, we're, we're seeking out our own rather than seeking to show honor, to outdo one another in showing honor before the Lord. And, uh, you know, that we, we fail so easily in that. So I have a question for you with that in mind. How do we cultivate this love uh, within ourselves? Yes, we have it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's born of the Spirit. How do we hear from the Spirit? How do we take that, the things that we read in Scripture, and learn to apply those into our lives on a daily basis, on a, uh, in a relationship basis, when we have that day when uh, we, we walk into the church building and someone treats us unlovingly, or in the house, or at work? How do we, do we cultivate love in ourselves so that we can then share love with others. And what, and what are some of the, what happens to us when we do that? Are there benefits that come with us? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is first John four nineteen, where it says we love one another is the context because he first loved us. We kind of talked about this in the beginning and how do we gird ourselves up? How do we, as you said, cultivate that in us? We do that because we're constantly reminding ourselves through the, the, the word and, and the, the means of grace who we are in light of who and what God is and what he, who he is and what he's done for us. We're constantly reminded of our position in him. We're reminded of our declaration of being just, our justification before the Lord and all the blessings and promises that come with that. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over and over again. And yeah, we'll forget about it in many ways. I, I heard it put this way once. It's like we we are a, a leaky bucket and we have to go down to the river all the time in order to put out the fire of sin in our hearts. And we get down to the river and we run back and we try and you know douse it on whatever the fire is and there's not much water left. That may be true, and we're, we're not sanctified the way we should, but in that process of doing that, that bucket is as squeaky clean as possibly can be. And so we recognize that God's love is, is transforming us in that aspect. We love others because he first loved us, and the bringing ourselves to the constant reminder uh, and re- awareness of that is where our ground and fount for love for another is. And so just as he's loved us when we don't deserve it, again, we want to love one another 
that they may not deserve it at least in that time and they don't have a, some sort of an ability to to bless us back in return it's that selfless love it's we are able to give out to others because we have the recognition that he is constantly pouring into us grace and mercy and truth and we simply follow the model of the Lord in this aspect and something is as a bit of an aside that I had thought of here that kind of plays into this a little bit is that you were, th you were, you mentioned kind of the verse earlier, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yes. That's something I quote to my kids all the time, by the way, when they quarrel, <laughs> fight with somebody. but uh, we are naturally proud. That is our natural state. The fruit of the spirit and the heart that has love that naturally comes out of it as a believer that's something that's not natural. God cultivates that. And God does, as I say, cultivates that through his word. But that whole issue of, of proud, of being prideful, of being the older brother, as we were before we were Christians. And we may still be to a degree, even after we're believers. The, the whole issue of pride is still being worked out in us. The whole concept of loving yourself, the world might look at that and say, oh, we need to love ourselves more. We need to have more self-esteem. The Bible pictures it as completely the opposite. It pictures it as we are already totally in love and totally infatuated with ourselves. In fact, we are to love one another as we love ourselves, as in the words of Jesus. In fact, it's even more than that. We are to love others and consider them more important than ourselves. We're to love others more than ourselves. And but the, the Bible just makes this automatic assumption everywhere. We love ourselves, and we are trying to preserve ourselves. And that's why the divine act of intervening through the Spirit's work of causing us to be born again, done in love for us when we certainly didn't deserve it, is so profound and so amazing. And just the awareness of what he has brought us from, from death unto life, a new creation, reminding ourselves of that of seeing that and looking back in our lives yes we are in many ways to forget what lies behind and to strain forward to the upward call of god in christ jesus but the awareness of god's love working through the providence of our history that scarlet thread of redemption as charles spurgeon said in love still loving us while we were still sinners unlovable in a sense but he still loved us and he worked his word his spirit into us in a way that we didn't deserve, that we could see how God was preparing our hearts to receive him. And likewise, we in turn share that with others. And we're still sinners. We'll do it in an imperfect and ineffective way. Mm -hmm. But that process of doing that is what other people can see and recognize that we are truly of the Lord by the way that we continue to pursue loving one another and pursuing truth and pursuing to grow and love one another better, to bless one another better, to continually sacrifice when we don't get anything in return because we know that the fount of our hearts are being filled from the inside, from God, from, you know, another dimension in a sense, you know, his alien righteousness is being poured in us so that we get to be founts of living water that can flow over to others. And it's all done in love. It's all for him and his glory and his good as an apologetic means by which we can show his love. Be his, what does it say? What does it mean when scripture says we get to be his hands and feet mm -hmm. in the very fragrance of Christ? We yes. are loving one another in the ways that God has first loved us to point the world back to the God of creation who has created us and calls us to repent of our sins and then offers us the eternal grace and mercy and hope that is found in new life in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his, his promise to us of new life with him and peace and joy that accompanies that forever and ever and ever. And the constant awareness and growing in awareness of this is part and parcel of the Christian life here. We will continue to be amazed and, and grow in love for God because we see that his love is so infinitely perfect and we get to grow in love for one another and that process is will one day come to an end when he calls us home or he comes back and he will make all things new but 
we get to see so many different aspects of God in this whole process, how he's patient and long suffering with us and how we in turn then can be with others. And to those people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, there's still an amazing knack that they have to recognize a lot of this stuff. And we are oftentimes the very means, the, the beautiful hands and feet and the fragrance of Christ, like I said, to get that truth to one another that God will use to call who are his elect out from the four corners of the earth to his kingdom to show the people that they are the ones who are sick and broken and unlovable and needing the great physician. And if, hey, if the Lord can do it in me, wow, yeah, he can certainly do it in anybody else as well. There are a couple of passages that I think help me wrap my head around how to cultivate love and how to to strive for love in the spirit. Uh, and it's not something that I can do on my own. There's there's no way I can will this to happen. It's a it's a as I submit myself to the word and allow the word to work in me, that love is going to be one of the 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 um, it's going to be the output. We'll just go with that. <laughs> so the output of the word working in me is going to be love. And at mm -hmm. the same time, I still have to put on that love. So I was thinking it came into my mind of, of Colossians 3, uh, starting in verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. So again, because we're chosen to be holy and loved, put on a heart of compassion. And that heart of compassion is that idea of loving others. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond those things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of mm, unity. Beautiful. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. And so again, all these, you know, these, the, we're going to end up repeating ourselves a little bit as we go through the series. Uh, but I think there's, there's every little bit's a little different aspect of it. Uh, kind of like looking into a really good prism. You know, we see just a little different twist on it, but I, the idea of mm -hmm. putting on love because we're called to be holy and loved because we have compassion because we're forgiving, uh, because we've been shown compassion and shown forgiveness and shown love, we're then able to take that and show that to others. So the next question, and, the, and I think the last question we've got time to hit, how do we take cultivating love in ourselves and how do we help others cultivate love? Or how do we even cultivate love in others? What's the you know, as if we're supposed to love others, okay, that's part of loving others is showing them that. How do we help them do the same thing? And I think this is where we kind of move from being uh, pew sitters to being uh, part of the ministry and part of what the, the work of the church is, you know, in making disciples. Well, part of being disciples, as we've already talked about, is is being someone who loves. And, and how do we help other folks to cultivate love for others within themselves. I think we touched on some of that earlier, but something that came to my mind just then was we as disciples, we are not complete in the category of disciple until we learn how to make other disciples. And so, and, and as well, first Timothy two, two Paul telling Timothy, these things, which I have taught you, teach them to others who will then be able to teach as well. So it's a self-propagating cycle. And so it's one thing to love one another, but we all have a responsibility to love one another, not for the sake of love and harmony and peace and joy merely. That's a benefit of it, and that is an effect of it. But it's for the purpose then of carrying that on and fulfilling God's prophetic work here in this world of calling in all of those from every corner of the earth that are his own. And so love is, as, as part of that sacrificial system, 
it's not just to you know, have the feeling of fulfillment or contentment or peace or joy. We are called to live you know, quiet and peaceful lives, but yet we're also called to take up our cross. We're also called within the giftings and abilities that he has to go out into the world, or as Paul Walsh would say, down into the well, or hold the rope for those who do. And so we love because he first loved us and saved us when we didn't deserve it so that we can then tell the world or enable those who are equipped at telling in a, in a perhaps a better didactic sense than we are of how great is our God. And it, it's done through the, the means of the word and through the example of him using imperfect, infallible, or fallible, crooked arrows that God can still shoot a straight bullseye through the heart of somebody else with the bias. <laughs> As we start to wrap up from there, um, you know, we, we've looked at a lot of different aspects of love. Where Where is our love focused um, both uh, toward God and toward others? It's a, it's a reaction. Our love is reactionary. Our love through the spirit is reactionary. We're reacting to the love that God has shown us. And as we help bring other people to understand what that love is, that love is that Christ came, lived, died for us as a sacrifice, and then was giving us all of his benefits while taking all of our shame on himself. And when we see that, we understand that, the love that we have for him just expounds. And the love that he has for us is then something that we understand and can share with another. And I think that's where where you were heading with that. But it brought, it's a, it's a song that I have always loved since I first heard it. It's something that sticks into my mind. I could not listen to it for years and then it'll pop in my head one day and the whole thing just comes into my mind. And it is uh, a song that was done by the group Glad, which kind of dates me a little bit. It was when I was a youth that they were uh, kind of a big thing. They they started in late 70s and through the 80s, turned into from a, from a kind of the contemporary Christian music of its day into an acapella group. Uh, they're apparently from Illinois. I did not know that at the time. I've learned that since being an adult and looking up some of their things. But they did a version of an old hymn called My God, I Love Thee. And the words of this just uh, speak so much for me. Uh, the, the very thought that I have about why it is that I love God. And so I'm going to read uh, this is off cyberhymnal.org, uh, the, the lyrics that they have of this hymn, uh, goes back. I'm not going to get into all the history of it because that's not that important, but the words are, it says, my God, I love thee, not because I hope for heaven thereby, nor yet because in loving not, I might eternally die. Thou, O my Jesus, thou didst me upon the cross embrace. That's not the way Glad sings sings it, but it's close. I'm kind of mixing the two. For me did bear the nails and spear and manifold disgrace. And griefs and torments numberless and sweat of agony, even death itself and all for man who was thine enemy. Then why, O blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love thee well? Not for the hope of winning heaven, nor escaping hell. Not with the hope of gaining, nor seeking a reward. But as thyself has loved me, O everlasting Lord. Even so I love thee, and will love, and in thy praise will sing. Solely because thou art my God, and my eternal King. And the words of that, when I listen to that, and and it being sung by acapella men's voices and the arrangement they have and the way they work it together it just that's beautiful uh it it even just thinking back on it 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 always causes me to pause and and reminds me to be humble and reminds me to fall before the cross 
and to realize the, the you know and griefs and torments numberless and sweat of agony mm. even death itself mm. all for man who was your enemy and that i mean i'm that enemy and and to to take scripture that you know this is this is not straight scripture it's it's rewording things but the the content is right there and that we shouldn't love god to gain anything we don't love god because it earns us anything we don't love god to get back from him Mm -hmm. he's already given us anything that we could possibly want and everything that we could never get and so we don't hope for the we we don't love Mm -hmm. because of the reward and we don't love because of the 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 fact that we're escaping hell or the the fear of hell we love because he showed to us ultimate love and you know that to me uh it 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 drives me to be more loving and it reminds me of who i am as i look at god and who he is and remember what he has done and remember the promises he's given and the promises he's fulfilled already and you know as we look at each of these aspects of the fruit of the spirit you know each one of them is an aspect of of who god is in the first place each one of them is is a uh, a characteristic of god's very person that he gifts us with in the Holy Spirit. And as we look at them, we should see who God is and what he has done and the promises he's given us and the promises he's already fulfilled before we were in the picture or before we were physically here living, I should say. And with that in mind, I want to close up uh, this episode and we're going to look forward to the next episode as we continue looking at the fruit of the Spirit Uh, And so next time in order, uh, as we've already hit love, next time we're going to talk about joy and joy, you know, it's a springboard right out of love, but there's a lot of of different aspects to that. So we'll be uh, discussing that in our next episode. Uh, Until then, I know that uh, both of us are reasonably busy on social media as the holidays approach. I'm not sure necessarily if that's going to manage to keep up, but uh, you can find me on social media at Bandman Acres. You can also send me an email at that at gmail.com. Me being a former band director, I kind of stole that from my dad, to be honest. That was his old CB handle was Bandman. And so when I went to go get my Gmail account, I borrowed that from him. And it was like, Bandman at Gmail had already been taken. So I added the last name, Bandman Acres at gmail.com. Uh, and it also became oh, my wow. Twitter handle. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under my name, Ryan Akers. Uh, and if you're on Twitter, you will find me there most of the time. I spend quite a bit of time on Twitter. Uh, and if I'm not on there directly, I'm at least passively paying attention to it. Chris, where do we find you on social media? Well, unlike you, I'm absolutely uncreative, I guess, when it comes to my Twitter name, because I'm <laughs> just simply at Dean Chris. And I'm on Facebook at Chris Dean. So simple as that. And if somebody wants to send me an email, it's, again, as uncreative as possible. I'm simply chris at christine.org, O-R-G. So we look forward to, to hearing from you. And let us know what you think about all of this. If we can in any way answer questions or serve you better or pray for you, let us know. If we can encourage you in some way. Uh, something that came to mind there at the very last when you were talking about Romans, uh, Romans 5, 5 came to my mind and it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I like the way it's probably Amen. the King James that says it has been shed abroad in our hearts. And when mm. you were talking about that song, just the the fact that your heart is stirred in the first place by that song shows that he first enabled us to recognize who he is. And I have no clue if this is, you know, exegetically sound or not, but I just love that the King James, the way they describe it, shed abroad. And I think of abroad as something outside of us, or at least maybe coming from us to go beyond us. And so if we can help you in any way, love one another better or teach you how to evangelize even, that's kind of what I like to do. Let us know. Let us know. Thanks for 
allowing us to have an hour every so often as you listen to this. And we hope that we can be a blessing to you going forward as well. Absolutely. On that note, good night, everybody. We pray that you have a wonderful week and we will catch up with you on the next episode of Simmering Thoughts. My God, I...